Hello and welcome to episode 48 of Special Parents Confidential. I'm John Pellegrini. It's mid-February of 2017 as we post this episode, and that's still cold and flu season. Now, any kind of illness is always a concern for parents, not just parents of special needs kids either. But what exactly are the cold and the flu? Now, did you know that they share some of the same symptoms? So how are you supposed to tell them apart? And what's the difference between the flu and one of those 24-hour stomach bugs? How do you treat these illnesses? And what can you do if you have special needs kids who have sensitivities to medicines or has challenges with standard treatments? Well, I'm pleased to say we're being joined again on this episode by our friend, Dr. Patricia Schultz, who has excellent information and can answer all those questions, including ways that you can treat your kids who have aversions to medicines. She also talks about the warning signs for when your child might have something else going on instead of the cold or the flu, and most importantly, when it's time to take your child to the hospital. But I started off first by asking Dr. Schultz to explain the difference between a cold, the flu, and what we sometimes call the 24-hour stomach bug. (laughs) Those are big questions. The most common illness that we see is what we call the common cold. Mm -hmm. Uh, Common colds are caused by viruses, and viruses are not treatable by antibiotics. Antibiotics only work against bacteria because of the way that they work. So in a cold, it's commonly symptoms like sneezing, sore throat, earaches, nasal congestion, runny nose. Those type of symptoms may be a little bit of coughing from the drainage. The common cold will go away within a few days. Now, when we talk about the flu, we're really speaking of influenza. Influenza is a very serious illness for some people. It is marked by high fever, terrible body aches, a terrible cough, and it can make you so sick that you actually develop bacterial infections on top of it, such as pneumonia. So the reason that the flu vaccine was developed was because the flu influenza is a leading cause of loss of time from school, from work, and the illness will spread very, very quickly. So it can become an epidemic. Right. It's very contagious. It is extremely contagious, especially when you think about people who are in close quarters, such as schools, nursing homes, hospitals, prisons. Those are all, you know, where we're really likely to or even in movie theaters. You know, everybody's sitting in there for a couple hours, the person next to you is coughing, and flu is an airborne illness. So it, unfortunately, hand-washing is wonderful, but it doesn't, you cannot prevent flu through, just from hand-washing. Oh, that's interesting. Now, when we talk about the 24-hour stomach bug, a lot of people call this the stomach flu. In fact, I've been guilty of it myself, but technically it is not the flu. It is an entirely different illness than influenza. The stomach bug most commonly is also caused by a virus called norovirus. And in case anybody wants to look it up, it's spelled N-O-R-O-V-I-R-U-S. Norovirus causes, it's estimated between 19 and 21 million episodes a year, just in the United States. Wow. So it is the leading cause of the stomach bug, as, as you have commonly called it. So when we talk about norovirus, 
or a virus, viral illness. Doctors usually call that gastroenteritis. And just to give you a little medical background here, the term itis means inflammation. Ah. So gastro is stomach, entero means small intestine, and itis, inflammation. So gastroenteritis is inflammation of the stomach and small intestines. So if you can picture in your mind your intestines and your stomach becoming swollen, they're unable to keep down food. So what you commonly see with norovirus is vomiting and diarrhea, and it can be very severe. And it oftentimes there's also body aches, low-grade fever, and headache that go with it. So it really makes people feel seriously ill. Do you remember a few years ago all the outbreaks on the cruise ships? Where right. they were having to dock the ship because everybody was ill? Right, right. That was norovirus. Ah. And the tricky part about norovirus is that you're actually contagious before you have symptoms. So if you are a restaurant worker, for example, you don't know you're getting sick and you're preparing foods that are not cooked, such, such as salads and fruits, things that do not get cooked, you could potentially put norovirus on the food. Oh, geez. I'm sorry to ruin your future restaurant visit. <laughs> well, so and how, how, can, how long can you have uh, the norovirus before you actually develop the symptoms? Typically, it's a couple of days. Oh, wow. And then the, the typical symptoms are anywhere from 24 to 48 hours. So if, you, if someone has an illness that's gone beyond 48 hours, it's likely not norovirus, ah, okay. and time to see your doctor right. because it, it could be a bacterial food poisoning. Oh. So the other thing is, even after you get better, you're still shedding the norovirus from your system for 48 hours. Oh, boy. So all the moms out there who get norovirus, guess what? You're out of the kitchen for two days after you're feeling better. Oh. You should not be preparing food for your family. Wow. So essentially, even though it's they call it the 24-hour bug, it actually lasts up to five days. Right. And, and it, it's so contagious because of the period of before you have symptoms and the virus continuing. Now, the, the way the virus is going to show up is in the stool or the vomit. So naturally, hand-washing, especially if you have a child who's ill and you're changing diapers and cleaning up after they get sick, chances are really quite high that the caregiver is also going to catch it. It's just, it's very hard to avoid. Oh, lucky Even us. <laughs> handling soiled laundry um, because the virus is in the vomit and in the diarrhea. So this is a very serious illness. And by the way, I didn't mention, you can develop this more than once because there are many different little cousins of the norovirus. Cousins, if you will. That's mm -hmm. a loose term. Ah. So there's different uh, strains of it. And different it can, strains, yeah. and so you really cannot become immune to norovirus. Yeah, just like the common cold, you can't become immune to that right, either. because there are a lot of different common cold strains too. Ah, boy. So there's no vaccine for norovirus, although recently norovirus was grown in the lab for the very first time. Oh, no kidding. That just was in the news recently. Ah. Um, so I'm hoping that perhaps a vaccine will come. Right. Or some kind of medication. Well, it would have to be a vaccine. A vac preventative, I think, would be the best. 
Ah, okay. What, you know, can uh, we, or treatment. I mean, okay. whatever they can come up with. Well, can we hit on that difference real quick, The why a vaccine is the best way to go with these types of illnesses? Well, it's sort of like closing the barn door after the horse has already gotten out. So if you can prevent a disease, you don't get sick in the first place and you don't spread it to others. Right. Um, now, there is a flu influenza vaccine, although... We never know year to year. Scientists sort of have to make an educated guess on which type of virus will cause the flu in the upcoming year. So some years you hear or read that the vaccine wasn't very effective because they didn't put the right strains in the shot. Ah, okay. But some years it's right on. Right. Now, does that, because there is such a guessing game going on, some people will say, well, then you shouldn't bother getting the vaccine at all if they're not going to know what it is. But that's not necessarily true, right? No, that's that's not necessarily true, because there's a chance that it is right. I mean, a good chance. Mm -hmm. So they, they usually put more than one strain in the flu shot to try and cover a variety of, of strains. And if you are at high risk or and I guess that's a, that's something we should touch on here, is particularly high risk are children, the elderly, those with heart problems, breathing problems such as asthma, because of those complications with pneumonia and blood infections. Mm-hmm. Um, influenza is not, it's, it's much more than a common cold. It's one week of lying in bed in pure agony. Oh, it's boy. not fun. No. Okay. So definitely stay on top of that and see your doctor. Right. And uh, one thing we haven't mentioned here is that this is not medical advice we're talking here. We're just talking in general facts and figures. So you should always consult your physician. Yes. Might as well give that disclaimer now. You're here as a consultant with some information, but uh, don't use this as a prescription or (laughs) always see your doctor. You can't diagnose yourself. I mean, we all talk about Dr. Google and diagnosing ourselves, but Mm -hmm. frequently Dr. Google is wrong because your situation is different than your neighbors and your friends. Well, you have to take in the entire physical profile of the person involved. Oh, yeah. Weight, height, your overall health. uh, And also your age. Yes. Um, For a baby, especially, you know, under a year old, it's a whole different ballpark in terms of these illnesses because they, they have a very small blood volume because of their size. So when a baby throws up a few times or has diarrhea a few times, it can be a a significant loss of body fluid based on their total amount of body fluid. So the smaller you are when we're talking about norovirus, the more quickly you're going to become dehydrated. And, you know, a baby can't tell us, oh, I'm dizzy, I have a headache. So parents or caregivers have to make that judgment, Mm -hmm. and that's something... uh, we should touch on at some point today. Right, yeah, and we will. Um, So the best way treating the cold or a flu or a stomach virus, obviously go to your doctor if it gets to a certain point, but uh, what about uh, like over-the-counter remedies or things like that? Well, let's start with a cold. Let's start with the common cold. We, We discussed earlier that the common cold is the virus, so there really isn't many, many people go to their doctor, I want the antibiotic, We've all done this, me, right. myself included. Mm-hmm. Uh, we want to feel better. We're, we're pretty much willing to try anything, aren't we? Right. Um, but unfortunately, the common cold will not respond to an antibiotic. Now, people will tell you, well, I went to the doctor and got the antibiotic, and in three days I felt perfect. Right. Well, guess what? Common colds only last three to five days. 
Uh-huh. So it could just have just been your cold resolving on its own. So the way to treat a cold is symptomatically. Now, studies have not shown that cold medicine reduces the length, duration of a cold. It only sort of softens up the symptoms. Most pediatricians do not recommend cold medicine for children because they can have side effects and they're not going to really shorten the duration of the illness. So if you can keep, if we're going to talk primarily about children here, of course, keeping them comfortable. Right. So the good old-fashioned cool mist humidifier in their room There are different types of, like, saline nasal spray to help decongest their little noses, Um, keeping them well hydrated. Dehydration can also be an issue with colds because you're breathing through your mouth and you're usually not eating as much as usual. So parents and caregivers really need to focus on, on hydration when the child is ill, more than eating food. If you can get your child to take uh, juices, milk, uh, liquids, even popsicles, things that maybe you won't give every day because of, you know, a healthy diet. Mm-hmm. Uh, during an illness like this is not the best time to focus on the healthiest foods. It's basically whatever you can get your child to eat so that they don't become dehydrated. And also, John, Jello counts as a liquid. Did you know that? Oh, I did not know that. Jello is a liquid. So because it, when it melts, it's all liquid. Right. So some parents find that they make the, the finger jello, which the recipe's on the side of the box, and cut it into cute little shapes with cookie cutters that kids are have more of an interest in eating, you know, if you can make the food fun. Oh, okay. If you can make a uh, smiley face with two bananas and eight chocolate chips, uh, you know, the child might eat. So we just have to be very creative as parents. Right. Now, what about, you know, you mentioned don't worry about a healthy diet and... Uh chocolate chips being one that sometimes will send flags out, well, that's candy, you know, but that's not a concern at this point, right? Not during an illness. I mean, um, obviously you want them to eat a little bit more than just the chocolate chips. Hopefully they eat those couple of pieces of banana too. Right. You know, and maybe a strawberry for the nose. So we got to just try and sneak in what we can. You can make little, you know, bites of toast. Uh, Sometimes kids like those little teeny foods. I remember... Uh, one particular child I know that really liked teeny foods. Uh, but uh, your hydration is, is key. Right. And we've all experienced when you're ill that foods don't taste the same. So what your child normally enjoys, they may find doesn't taste good right. during a cold. Uh, and there's also been some evidence that chicken noodle soup really does help with a cold. So making the chicken noodle soup would be the ideal. You right. know, buying your chicken, boiling it, making the broth throwing in your vegetables and cooking it up. Science has shown some evidence that that actually will help hmm. a cold, right. a common cold. Grandma was right all this time. Grandma was right. <laughs> Although if I told you about my grandma's cough syrup recipe, <laughs> not appropriate for children. <laughs> I'll bet. <laughs> so that's the, that's the treatment of a common cold. If there's low-grade fever, if your child is allowed to take things like uh, acetaminophen or ibuprofen. Mm -hmm. You should follow the dosage directions on the package carefully. Right, just like we talked about in the last episode. Yes, you you Mm -hmm. want to be very careful in your measurements and recording the time that you gave those medications so that you don't end up overdosing. The other thing we have to be very careful about is if if a parent does choose to use a cold medicine, many of them will have acetaminophen in them. 
So you don't want to give acetaminophen on top of the cold medicine because it may be an overdose. You have to be extremely careful with your ingredients. Yeah, and you don't want to give an ibuprofen at the same time either. Correct. That is another tricky part of cold medicine. So many pediatricians just recommend staying away from those cold medicine products. But using something for a sore throat, your acetaminophen or your ibuprofen will help your child be able to drink better if they have a sore throat. And when they drink better, their nose gets less stuffy and their chest stays more clear because they're able to move out the mucus better. When you talk about a cold, uh, the average duration for a cold is three to five days. So if you have a cold that's going on longer than that, it's probably no longer a cold. Sometimes a cold will start as a cold and end up as a sinus infection or end up, God forbid, in pneumonia or other more serious illnesses. So... We want to just think about how many days our child's been sick, check in with the pediatrician. Many offices have a nurse advice person that you can call if you don't want to be bringing your child in if you're concerned it's just a cold. It's a good idea to check in with your health care provider and say, this is what my child looks like, you know, and what do you recommend? Should I bring them in or let it go a couple more days? It's, it's really it's a judgment call. Uh, now, again, the younger your child is, the more serious these things can be. Any child two months of age and younger with any sort of fever needs to go to the doctor immediately. Ah, okay. A fever under the age of two months is potentially very serious. So we never want to mess around with an an infant under the age of eight weeks with trying to treat things yourself. It's it's very unwise. Maybe we shouldn't beat around the bush here and say it's potentially life-threatening. Yes. Because potentially life threatening. Yeah. You don't want to scare people. No, but, but well, there's um, a doctor needs to see a, a child that young right, for any yeah. sort of illness. Yeah. Well, we're not trying to scare people, but they need to understand that oh, yeah. it is it's, it's very important. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, how about the flu? Now, when we talk about influenza, that's what you're you're referring to, right, correct? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So influenza, if this is the way that influenza typically goes, John, typically we'll start. With influenza, it's very abrupt. Like five minutes ago, I felt fine, Mm -hmm. and now I feel really bad. Oh, okay. It's not a gradual onset. It's a very quick, and it usually starts with a sore throat, very sore throat, and then quickly progresses to a very bad cough. Ah, you see, now when that happens, I usually think I'm getting a cold. The thing with the flu is you don't have sneezing, Mm -hmm. and you don't have a runny nose. Ah. That is usually speaks against influenza. Okay. Influenza will start in the throat and quickly go into a very severe cough, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of muscle aches, a whole lot of muscle aches, fevers, headaches. Again, if you have those symptoms, the flu medication that's available really does a nice job of shortening the duration of your illness. Ah, okay. However, you have to start the medicine within 48 hours 48 to 72 hours of your symptoms beginning. Oh. So you don't want to wait and go to the doctor on day three of your illness because then it's too late. They oh. won't give you the flu medicine. Oh. And by the way, they do give this medicine to children as well. Oh, okay. So if you think you have the flu, you need to be seen immediately. They will run a flu test on you and give you the flu medicine because if we can help treat the flu, we're going to reduce the amount of complications like the pneumonias, and the breathing issues, and the blood infections that can be secondary to having the flu. Because influenza weakens your immune system. 
Right. Your immune system is so busy fighting the influenza that other bacteria are able to come in and take hold of you. And that's where that's one of the most serious complications of influenza. People tend to underestimate influenza until they have it. Right. And they realize they are laid flat on their back for a solid week. Wow. And imagine an older person. Um, they often, sadly, they don't survive it. Oh. It's, it's that serious. Right. And for a baby, you know, it's very taxing on their young immune system, too. They don't have the immunity that to, to fight. So they're more fragile as well. And any of our children with special needs who have breathing issues, asthma, other respiratory complications. We have to be, of course, more, even more vigilant than normal. Right. That gets dangerous. And then uh, a stomach virus, of course. Norovirus. Well, I'm, I'm just going to focus on norovirus because okay. that is the most common um, gastroenteritis that we see. What, you, what we need to do is stay hydrated. So that is often a challenge, especially children, because they they don't want to drink. They don't want to eat when they feel bad. As adults, we can kind of push ourselves a little bit, but for children, this is extremely difficult. Right. And children are very frightened when they vomit. It's extremely frightening. Oh, yeah. So for us as parents, we need to remain calm, at least on the outside, mm-hmm. even though we may not feel calm on the in. Right. Our children need us to be calm and reassuring that they are going to get better mm-hmm. and that you're going to help them. Right. with this illness and uh, keeping them, keeping yourself in check. Right, right. And like you say, you know, the vomiting is very frightening for kids. Well, I, you know, and I don't know many many adults who like it either. That's <laughs> it's, very true. Yeah, it's, but, you know, we, it's just awful. <laughs> when the kids are sick, we have to become captain of the ship. Oh, yeah. And the, the captain is not allowed to show his or her distress because then the whole, everybody's going to go worse. So giving ch- your children... Um, preventing dehydration. So what is dehydration? So we should start there. We, that term is thrown around a lot. I feel dehydrated. Maybe you're dehydrated. Dehydration is a loss of not only water, but also key chemicals called electrolytes. Okay. You hear that term a lot too. Right. So in most of our bloodstream is water and electrolytes. So when we become ill with vomiting or diarrhea or both, we're losing not only water, but we're also losing electrolytes. And electrolytes are what keep our heart beating, keep our muscles working properly. They're very key elements in in the function of our muscles. The heart is a muscle as well. So we can't just drink straight water when we're ill. We have to rehydrate with the electrolytes as well. So the key here is to kind of trick the stomach. That's what I call it, tricking the stomach. Mm -hmm. So Number one, you've got to have the right rehydration solution. And I hate to throw brand names around, but the most common one that we think of for children is Pedialyte. Mm -hmm. I don't know a child alive who really likes Pedialyte. No. I've never met one. But it is the very best oral rehydration solution around. So because it's, it's made with the right balance of fluids and minerals that we need. Right. So what you want to do is, as I alluded to earlier, is sneak fluid into the stomach. So literally two teaspoons and see if that stays down. Two teaspoons every 10 to 15 minutes. You really like give such a small amount that Mm -hmm. the stomach doesn't respond by vomiting it up. Oh, okay. So if you can sneak those little bits of fluid in. Now, if the child vomits, the, the typical recommendation is to wait 
10 to 15 minutes before you try again. Let the stomach settle back down. Okay. Um, medications for vomiting and diarrhea are not recommended because you're just going to lengthen the illness. Right. By, let's say you take uh, an over-the-counter diarrhea product, mm-hmm. then you're holding the virus inside of you. Ah, okay. So it's, it's better just to let it, let it run, so to speak, mm-hmm. even though it's difficult. Now, as your children get older, again, under a year old, that really need, you need to call the doctor right away when right. this starts and okay. get some advice because children under one don't have that much blood volume. So when they start getting sick, they can get really sick very fast. Right. So like, we've spoken in earlier episodes about that relationship with your pediatrician is, is very important. Right. Now, it's interesting you said two teaspoons. That, uh, you know, it's, uh, and I go back and I think about what I did and when I was a kid, too. You know, you, you try to get the child to drink a whole glass of it or the entire amount, and, you know, and it comes right back up. Obviously, a smaller amount would work better. Oh, yes. Many times when you're in the, in the midst of this illness, uh, the, the stomach will not, will not want to hold anything. Right. And then you've got the diarrhea on top of it. Yeah. So, uh, again, a baby under two months old, you call your doctor immediately. Right. This is, this is serious. Right. Okay. Never give plain water to an infant. Really? Because they have such a small amount of blood... Um, when you give plain water, you can actually dilute their blood and cause seizures and other things. Really? Yep. I did not know that. Yep. Under under a year old, you don't want to give plain water. Breastfed infants can continue to breastfeed, mm-hmm. but the mom would want to shorten up those breastfeeding periods for maybe five to ten minutes at a time. So again, you're you're kind of limiting how much fluid the baby's taking in at one time. Okay. But again, a, a call to your pediatrician is extremely important in these cases. Okay, so formula-fed babies, you can continue to use electrolyte solution like Pedialyte and, you know, just giving a little bit every, you know, 10 to 15 minutes. If your child doesn't like the, the taste of Pedialyte, which, again, mine right. never did. No, neither did mine. You can add maybe a little, maybe a half a teaspoon of juice ah. to each, uh, like, four ounces just a tiny bit, just to sort of improve the flavor a bit. Now, many children or even babies will try and gulp fluid after they vomit because they're so thirsty. But it's important to kind of limit because if you drink too much, it's all going to be vomited. Now, what about um, there are now brands of water? And obviously you said, you know, not for children under age one, but children over age one, there are brands of bottled water that contain electrolytes. Is that a possibility if the kids won't They're take They're probably not going to be balanced ah. in the right way. Oh, okay. With the right amount of electrolytes. Okay. So as your child gets older, they have more blood volume and you're not quite as, not quite as dangerous. So, but your electrolyte, oral electrolyte solutions um, are still the best. But you can, as they get older, you can add in some ice chips, Sips of water. Again, you don't want to sit there and just give your child glasses and glasses of water. They need those electrolytes added back. There are popsicles made of electrolytes. Oh, really? Pedialyte popsicles. There's, you know, things like clear broth, like chicken broth. Jello, again, uh, counts as a liquid. So, and you don't want to force your child to eat. That's, that would be a mistake. Your child will know when they're ready to eat. So, uh, after the child hasn't vomited for about eight hours, you can introduce some solid foods. So you might want to try with 
these bland foods like um, crackers, saltine crackers, or toast without butter on it. Just very little. Oh. So during this, when the, when the child has been vomiting, you shouldn't introduce crackers or any of that stuff until after In the middle of vomiting, I think crackers are not going to go well. Right. They're not going to, they're just yeah. going to come back up again. So, and again, you know, crackers are not going to rehydrate you. Right. But once your child stops vomiting for a few hours mm-hmm. and they feel if they're asking for food, you don't want to give them a cheeseburger. That's going to be too heavy. Yeah, obviously. On the stomachs. You want to start with, you know, very easy things like saltine crackers and dry toast. Yeah. How about bananas? Bananas are good, too. Okay. And bananas have a lot of potassium. So when we have diarrhea, we lose a lot of potassium. Ah, okay. Um, So that's a, and you've probably heard of the BRAT diet, Mm B-R-A-T. And that's typically a diarrhea diet, which is bananas, uh, steamed rice, applesauce, and toast. So, but when we're talking vomiting, you, the hydration is the number one challenge. I would avoid milk and milk products in the middle of vomiting. Stick with your clear liquids, things that you can see through. Thankfully, this doesn't usually last uh, more than 48 hours. And again, while you're caring for a child who has these symptoms, you probably should have some rubber gloves um, to handle their laundry, to help them wash up, because this is really a very seriously contagious illness. One thing we should mention too, John, Mm -hmm. is that alcohol-based sanitizers do not kill norovirus. Ah. So in this case, we need good old-fashioned warm water and soap. So, and you should wash for 20 seconds. The old adage is to sing yourself the happy birthday song twice, (laughs) and that should be about 20 seconds. Right. Or the alphabet song is another one I heard. Or the alphabet song, but either one. So you got to wash long enough and then if you can use your rubber gloves right. because the, the virus is going to be in the vomit and in the diarrhea. Right. Or if not rubber gloves, maybe uh, those uh, disposable restaurant gloves or things like that. Well, that's, yeah, mm. exactly. Right. Put on a new pair every time. <laughs> um, now, what about, uh, what about a fever? You know, uh, there's that old adage about starve the cold, feed the fever. And, of course, that obviously, as we've been talking, doesn't actually do the trick at all. Um how do fevers, you know, what causes a fever? How do they, what is the, what is a, what is a fever for that matter? And uh, what's the best way to treat that? Well, that's a, that's a, uh, fever is a whole series of lectures in medical school. Ah, okay. But, but if we do the shortened version here, mm-hmm. a fever is a rise in body temperature. Doctors will define a fever as a, an oral temperature of 100.4 and greater. Oh, okay. That's 100.4, that's not 104. Not 104, yeah. 100.4. Okay. So the shocking thing here mm-hmm. is that you don't have to treat a fever. Oh. However, high fever can make people very uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And so if your child, let's say your child has a fever, but they're running around and playing, you don't necessarily have to lower that. Fever is triggered by an illness in your body. So either a virus or a bacteria. So it's believed that when your body raises its temperature, it may help to kill the pathogens ah. that are inside. Mm-hmm. However, if you have a fever that has caused your child to like lay down and not want to eat or drink, then you got to treat it because they're not able to take in those liquids that they need to. Certainly, if you have a child who has a fever and is not acting like themselves, that's another reason to call your physician. If you have a baby 
who's not making as many tears when they cry or is having fewer than four wet diapers in a day or, you know, they should wet a diaper every four to six hours or if they're very fussy or if they are just not acting like themselves, that's certainly reason to call your doctor. Okay. That's a, those are all signs of dehydration. Ah. And now for your older kids, they, they're able to tell you a little bit better. If their eyes look sunken or they're very sleepy or decreased uh, activity, if they have kind of wrinkled up skin, especially on their stomach or their upper arms, or their mouth seems sticky or dry, or they're not urinating every six or so hours, those are signs of dehydration also. So, again, you need to call your doctor in those cases. Right. So fever, again, it's very tricky. Should I, fe- should I treat the fever or shouldn't I? So that's a, a conversation to have with your doctor, whether you need to treat it or should you wait it out. Right. Now, um, fevers, they say um, ibuprofen is good for that. It helps reduce the uh, the temperature and all that. And, of course, the the tricky part is keeping the temperature below, I think, what is it, 104 or something? That When it goes above that, that becomes the... Uh, oh, yeah, certainly... Zone. If a child has a fever of 104 or greater, they need to be seen by a doctor right. because most of your most of your norovirus can have a very low grade fever, maybe 104, maybe 101. Mm-hmm. If you've got a fever at 104, you're most likely not dealing with norovirus. You're dealing with something else that right. may require actual treatment. Right. Okay. Now, what about uh, a lot of our kids? Of course, have food sensitivities, and a lot of kids absolutely hate the taste of liquid medicines. What can you do for a child with a fever who's got that and refuses to take the medicines? Well, that's, a, that's always a challenge. Um, with children who despise the taste of liquid medicine, sometimes good old-fashioned bribery. <laughs> that can help. Right. Um, sometimes if you keep, keep a few little prizes around your house wrapped up, uh, Bring out the prize, say, you know, after you take your ibuprofen, I've got this, you know, you can pick one of two prizes. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, if they're a small child and you can't really reason with them yet in terms of prizes and things, mm-hmm. you may have to use the medicine dropper, the syringe, and just put a little bit in the side of their mouth at a time where they can't spit it back at you. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, yeah, it can be very tricky. There are... You can get acetaminophen in rectal suppository, but good luck with that. Right. Unless it's an infant, you know, that's, that's not a route I would go. Unless your child is vomiting and they can't hold down medicine. Right. But most kids are not going to really want to sign up for that. What about uh, the old-fashioned way, with the uh, cold or ice-cold washcloth or things like that? Washcloths help. Um, putting your child in a warm bath, as long as it's slightly below the, their current temperature, that will bring their fever down nicely, and also not overdressing them, overbundling your child who has a fever. And, and we all know when you have a fever, you feel very cold. So we all tend to pile under four blankets when we have a fever. Right. That actually just holds the fever in. Oh. So if you can get your child to undress a little bit, maybe you know fill up the bathtub, maybe some fun bubbles, some toys, and have your child hang out in the bath and play, and, you know, you can kind of use a washcloth and maybe wipe their forehead and, you know, sit there and play with them. And, and they usually will start feeling a lot better. Of course, we all realize that's only going to last for so long. Right, yeah. And you might be back in the bath again. But for a child who is really opposed to medicine, that may be something that helps temporarily. Right. How about if they have the chills? 
Well, that's a sign of high fever. Oh, okay. Usually. Right. So if you put them in a warm bath, I, I find that, personally, I find that helps kids a lot when they have the chills. Right. Okay. Is to get in the bath and suddenly they kind of quote unquote warm up. Mm -hmm. And what that is, is their fever is coming down. So those shaking chills, that's a reason to call your doctor. Ah, okay. So I can't stress enough, you know, being in communication with your doctor's office because your doctor is going to know your child better than anybody else except yourself. So, and I always say to parents, parents know their children the best. If you feel that your child is not acting, or your, even your baby is not acting themselves or something isn't right, go have it looked at. Don't let anybody sway you from that decision. Right, right. Because parents kind of know. They have a, they have a radar for this. Mm-hmm. Now, I suppose we might as well just go right on it because, uh, you know, the ultimate question here, what are the circumstances with any of these illnesses where I should just bypass it all and maybe go straight to an urgent care or even to the hospital? Well, certainly if there's um, any sort of seizures or you can't wake your child up or your child is very limp or weak, mm -hmm. those, are, those are very serious. If your child is disoriented or excessively sleepy, those are, those are things just head straight to the hospital. Your doctor's not going to be able to help you. Um, because in, in many cases, if, with a, if it's norovirus or some of the other illnesses, they may need IV fluids at that point. Right. Because children dehydrate so quickly. And sometimes when they get to a certain point of dehydration, they just can't drink. They just can't. Mm -hmm. They're too worn out and too weak to even drink. So... Prevention, we try and do our best to prevent dehydration, but sometimes the vomiting and the diarrhea just, they become too much. And, and fever also is a dehydrator. Mm -hmm. Fever burns off a lot of fluid. So anytime your child has a febrile illness, we have to be aware of dehydration. Right. And dehydration can become really dangerous, too. Oh, yes, yes. Dehydration is um, worldwide is a significant problem. The World Health Organization spends a lot of time and money trying to prevent dehydration amongst the world population. Mm -hmm. In fact, they have a, a recipe for a oral rehydration solution that I'm, I'm sure you can still Google it, mm. uh, the WHO oral rehydration solution. I don't remember the whole recipe, but it had orange juice and some other ingredients. It was quite a concoction, but they said if you're in an underdeveloped country, mm -hmm or you're traveling and they don't have oral rehydration solution, that you could actually make this stuff yourself oh. with uh, ingredients that you can get at the grocery store that you might have at home. Right. And that actually might... Not that it's going to taste fantastic, oh. <laughs> but... I was going to say, is there a possibility it might taste better than the brand name stuff? Or... <laughs> <laughs> well, I have to tell you, I haven't tried it myself. Oh, okay. But I, I have a friend that once was traveling in a rural environment and they had to resort to this. And it did work, although it wasn't pleasant to drink. Right. Now, is there... So, but as you said, too, you can add uh, additional juice or things like that to help try and improve the taste of it. Right. Yes. And it won't hurt anything. You can. Especially as children get older, they have a greater blood volume. It's just your little, tiny children that... Right. They are the most uh, at risk with these illnesses. Right. And so always call your doctor when any sign of this comes up. Always. Okay. Because they, they can follow them closely. They might have you pop in for a visit, or they can give you some very good advice at exactly what to feed your child, how to treat their fever if they won't take the medication, 
alternatives to oral rehydration solutions. You can go over those things with your doctor one-on-one. Right. Because every child is different and every parent has their own uh, concerns mm-hmm. with their child. And your doctor knows your child well enough and you know your child right. best too. And sometimes too, parents start to worry about could this vomiting be something else? And that is always a question mm. that your doctor will also have cross over their mind. Could this be appendicitis, for example? Oh, really? Could be, you know, um, you know, if, you're, if your child has a lot of stomach pain, is this norovirus or is it something more serious? So again, that's, a, that's another reason to check in with your doctor if you don't have a doctor or your doctor is not available, the acute care center or the emergency room at least get somebody to look at them. Right. I didn't know, uh, for example, like you said, I didn't know appendicitis, that's one of the symptoms, because, well, I've never had appendicitis before, so that's why, <laughs> if you don't know what it well, is. Well, <laughs> appendicitis uh, has stomach pain, can have fever. Appendicitis has different stages, so it can look different in the beginning versus when it's ruptured, very different. Wow. But obviously, we don't want to wait till it's ruptured. No, no. So if your child has stomach pain... We don't want to assume it's norovirus. Right. You want to check in with your doctor right. on that one. Right, okay. So that would that'd be another one. You'd want to, you know, bypass home treatment and get them to see a doctor. Yeah, so severe stomach who pain. Who can evaluate that. Yeah, and we're talking uh, a severe stomach pain. It's not just, uh, oh, my tummy's yucky. It's more like, ow, it hurts. In the beginning, appendicitis is kind of a mild stomach pain. Oh. And then it progresses. Right. So it's, it can be a fool or two. But your doctor will know the right questions to ask, and the physical exam will help. Right. And the difference is the stomach pain gets worse and worse and worse with an appendicitis. Right. right. Okay. Now, the other thing I hadn't mentioned to you, which I should, mm-hmm. is if, you're, if you see anything resembling blood in your child's bowel movements mm-hmm. or coffee grounds when they vomit, mm. that's also something that your doctor needs to know about right away. Oh, so that would not be norovirus. That could be a bacterial-type illness that needs medication. Okay. Yeah, it's very, very complicated subject matter we have. Today, right, huh? yeah. Well, and very you know, important subject matter. You know, and a lot of people, I know a lot of people go, oh, that sounds so gross. But you know what? It's life, and you have to deal with it as a parent. Yeah. You know. Well, I'm sure you see that children's book called Everyone Poops, right? Right, yeah. <laughs> everyone poops, everyone vomits, everyone does this, yep. and you have to deal with it. And we have to be, as parents, we, we, we have such an important job to care for our children through all these different illnesses, but it's important not to try, try to take all this on on your own. Right. It's good to be informed, but it's good to keep in touch with your health care provider. Right. Right. Anytime an illness comes up, if it lasts uh, longer, if the symptoms work, worsen, get in contact with the health care provider. Even pediatricians. Take their children to pediatricians. Exactly. I have a friend who's a pediatrician. She never treats her own child. Right. She takes her to the doctor for every sniffle, every everything, because it's very dangerous to try and diagnose and treat your own child. Well, yeah, and as a parent, um, you're not looking at the same things that the pediatrician's going to be looking at. Absolutely. You're looking at, oh, my child is suffering, my child is in trouble, I have to comfort them. The pediatrician is going to say, okay, what is this? Right, right. Doctors are trained to evaluate these issues, and it's really nice to find a doctor that you feel as a parent that you can speak to, 
that you feel comfortable with, who's going to see you when your child needs to be seen and not say, well, we don't have any openings till next week. Right. That's probably not, you know, a good setup. Right. So hopefully a doctor that leaves some spaces in the appointment book for sudden illnesses. Yeah. Or at least can be contacted and reached by phone at any time. Right. Yeah, and many times I've noticed pediatricians do a lot of phone triage mm-hmm. because, frankly, there are some illnesses they don't want coming in the office. Right. Like chicken pox. They really don't want chicken pox coming in. They would rather treat you over the phone because it's so contagious. Right. Especially in the, in the earlier days where children were vaccinated for chicken pox. Mm-hmm. It was quite, a, quite an issue. Right. So, yeah, you definitely want to be in touch with a pediatrician immediately or as quickly as possible. Right. My thanks again to our friend, Dr. Patricia Schultz, for all the great information. We also have some links about cold, flu, and norovirus on the Special Parents Confidential website page for this podcast episode, including the World Health Organization's Rehydration Solution. Now, please be sure to share this episode with everyone you know on social media. We've got quick link buttons on our website that let you easily link this podcast immediately to all your social media sources. Also a reminder that if you found the information from this episode to be helpful, or any episode that we've done, please consider supporting Special Parents Confidential. We have a PayPal account link on our website where you can contribute to help us to be able to continue to produce this podcast. And that's it for this episode of Special Parents Confidential. I'm John Pellegrini, and thanks for listening.